Welcome to The BCP and Me, a podcast that explores the Book of Common Prayer as a manual for living out our lives. My name is Father Tyler Richards, and I am joined today by my co-host, Father Joshua Nelson. Hello. Good afternoon to you, Father. Good afternoon. For once, we're actually synchronized on time zones, and we don't have to banter about that this week. Well, that's because we bantered about it this morning trying to figure it out, but they don't need to know that. Oh, shoot. Look, they have to pay extra for the behind the scenes tour, okay? We can't put that in <laughs> standard content. Like, we have to have something we can offer them as a B roll. So, oh, okay. Um, that being said, um, a lot has happened since you and I were last gathered together to have our conversations about. The Book of Common Prayer, we've developed, and I think developed is the right verb, a Facebook page where we have 210 followers. I don't know how that happened, but that's really cool. Um, for, for an introductory episode. <laughs> for an introductory episode, that's not bad. Um, and we've had even some downloads of the podcast, which is pretty cool that some of those folks have listened to the first episode. We have a website now with an actual domain, we are now hosted. Um, and we are now listed on every major podcast directory that is available. So, uh, Father Tyler, do you want to share that website so our listeners can go to it? And maybe we'll put it in the show notes. I don't know. Uh. <laughs> you can find our podcast wherever you find your podcasts, but also at www bcpandme.com. Yes, we are a .com. In an age of post.coms, we are a .com. So that's all pretty crazy that has happened in the last two weeks, but it's, it's exciting. And I think it just shows that there's an appetite for this kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So um, today on the church's calendar, which we're talking about today. It is the feast day for St. Thomas Aquinas. And so to begin our time together discussing the Book of Common Prayer, we thought we would start by praying the collect for the feast of St. Thomas Aquinas. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Let us pray. Almighty God, who has enriched your church with the singular learning and holiness of your servant Thomas Aquinas, enlighten us more and more, we pray, by the disciplined thinking and teaching of Christian scholars, and deepen our devotion by the example of saintly lives. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Amen. So, to begin our discussion this week, we're going to take our leather-bound books of common prayer, or the digital copy, if you have that. We're going to start our exploration with looking at some of the documents at the front. And when I say look at them, I'm just going to say that they're there, and we're probably going to keep moving. <laughs> but on page 8 you will find the ratification of the first American Book of Common Prayer, which happened in 1789. 
You can find the preface for the first book of Common Prayer on page 9, 10, and 11. That was part of that text. And then we come to a section that is uh, pertinent for our use of the Book of Common Prayer that we have in front of us concerning the service of the church. And in this section, it talks about what the principal act of Christian worship is and the other rites and things that are appointed in the book, who leads the services, um, how each order participates, and all of the things that guide the rites and liturgies of this church, sort of the subtext of what goes into those rubrics and things like that. So page 13 in the Book of Common Prayer is very important for how we do worship here and now according to the prayer book. But after you- page, page 13 is kind of like what keeps the heart beating, and then right. the rest of it is the organs. Right. Right. It's it's the uh, there's probably a great musical metaphor there for for page 13. And you're you being the music man, um, you could probably come up with something. Maybe it's the score or the the vibretto or or something or the nothing. Yeah. No, it, it is. This, it's a score because we have uh, the different parts of the book are listed out and uh, the different um positions so what does a bishop do for this what does a priest do for this what does a deacon do for this and most importantly what does the laity or the people do for this um because that that's what makes up the church and we all work together and have our own roles and some overlapping um but this document this book of common prayer is what brings us together and 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 um, helps us to make music. And it's it's so important that we lift up the laity as being an essential part of Christian worship. I'm not just saying that laity are important to be nice about the laity. Um, and so everybody's clear, for those of you who don't speak Southern English, I am saying laity L-A-I-T-Y, not lady, L-A-D-Y. Um, sometimes it doesn't come through with my accent. But we're talking about those women and men that are present in the church who aren't ordained or aren't members of religious orders or have taken vows or promises. These are the chief order of Christ ministers in the world. And without them, we can't actually be the church. We, we, yeah. we are nothing without the women and the men who sit in our pews. Um, we can't put too fine a point on that. And, and children. Yes. 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 <laughs> Obviously children. <laughs> who, who often get left out, but you have one at home that you can never forget. So, and it refuses to be left out of anything. So, <laughs> so after we get through all of those, minor parts of the book in quotation marks we get to the cha- the calendar of the church year and when thinking about this all i could think was that there are 525,600 minutes in the church year father joshua was already shaking his head at me and how there are seasons of not only love but god's love 
and how that is wrapped up inside the bounds of the calendar of the church year. By the way, you don't have to pay extra for the earworms. Those come free of charge. We can talk to you about a more premium membership if you would like at the end of the podcast. Well, and, and this year marks the 25th anniversary of the first reading of, and of uh, the musical Rent, where this is from uh, Anne Jonathan Larson's death that happened the night of the opening, um, who I think exemplified a, a lot of this, uh, this really a musical about the way of love. But that's a complete other uh, genre, a completely other uh, podcast that we'll have to do at some point. But um, yeah, thanks for the earworm. I'll be singing that all the way home. You are so welcome. I'm glad I can be helpful in that way. So how do we measure, comma, measure a year? In, in the life of the church, we do that in a number of ways. Um, we do that by marking the different seasons of the church year, Advent, Christmas, Epiphany, Lent, Easter, the season after, or Pentecost, the season after Pentecost. We do it with the changing of the colors on the altar. We go from, from purple or blue in some parts of the world, to white, to green, back to purple, uh, a brief stint in a week of red, and then so a, a season, another season of white, and then the long green season. And so we cycle through this kaleidoscope of colors throughout the church year. We set aside special days in the life of the church where we meditate on particular miracles or particular events and particular people that punctuate our life in the church. Um, we set aside time for self-examination, and we set aside a time for self, for, um, for fasting, for self-denial, um, which, you know, there are some Episcopalians that are kind of agnostic about that, but it is an important part of our life together. Um, what am, also, I, what am I leaving out? We also set aside time for feasting. And feasting, of course. Um, which is kind of hard to imagine over the, the year that we have just had um, with COVID and, and, you know, our Thanksgivings and Christmases that all looked fairly different this year. Mm -hmm. um, but there is a reason that we feast and fast. Um, both are important to our life as human beings. Both are important to our life as Christians. And I think it's important that we point out that our lives as Christians are constantly being pulled between two different poles of the church year. We call this the Christmas cycle and the Easter cycle, the two arguably most important events in the life of Christ, his birth and Jesus's resurrection. These two poles, our whole lives sort of pull around in this infinity symbol, or if you prefer, a spiral that calls us deeper into God's love. And that is an almost verbatim quote from Mother Julia Gotta before anybody tries to get me for not giving Mother Gotta credit for anything. Number one, perish the thought. But number two, it's in her book, Life in Christ, that she points out that the cyclical nature of the church year isn't a vicious circle, 
but rather it's a spiral that draws us deeper down into God's love. Mm-hmm. But I think it's important that we look at these two events and see what is going on around them. Um, you know, my thing about, about Advent is that for years, I never thought of it as a season to prepare for anything. And in fact, to be fair, going back to last week, for years, I didn't even know Advent was a thing. Um, but now that we live, now that I'm living more deeply into the church's seasons, I can see Advent as a time to get ready for what's coming at Christmas. And it's it's four weeks now, but there was a time in the life of the church where Advent was quite a bit longer. Yeah, Advent in the Middle Ages was known as St. Martin's Lent, and uh, it started at the Feast of St. Martin of Tours, um, who was a uh, Roman soldier who became a um, conscientious objector and then worked for peace for the rest of his life. Uh, I think, believe, later became bishop. Um, But his feast day is really easy for us to remember as a Roman centurion, you know, uh, you see him in his military garb and his feast day is the 11th of November. It's for us in the United States, it's uh, Veterans Day around the rest of the world, especially in Europe, it is Remembrance Day or Armistice Day, um, where we're thinking about uh, war and peace. Um, and that was 40 days prior to Christmas. So they had 40 days fasting prior to Christmas. Um, and then also Lent in the spring was 40 days fasting in preparation for Easter and the resurrection. Which I'm not sure we could get away with a Lent of St. Martin in this day and age when oftentimes the Christmas decorations are going up before the Halloween decorations. And, and yeah. <laughs> Christmas gets closer to the 4th of July in the marketing world every single year. I mean, it's, it's, it's alarming. Um, and I think if we're not careful, we can lose sight of, um, we can lose sight of the big important feasts like Christmas and Easter by what goes on in the world outside of the bounds of the church. Um, mm-hmm. At the same time, there's a lot that goes on outside the bounds of the church that the church needs to know about, you know, and pay attention to, you know. Um, but but hearing, hearing the reminder that Lent used to be much longer and used to be this period of 40 days of preparation naturally brings us in mind to the other se- season of preparation, Lent, you know. The four-letter word in the church that everybody shakes their head and and wrings their hands and goes, what am I giving up for Lent this year? Why does it have to be chocolate every year? Why does it have to be chocolate? I understand that there are some people who give up coffee, which is anathema. Do not do that to yourself. Um, (laughs) And I think, now you, you feel free to push back on me, Father, like you always do. I think that if we only pay attention to what we're giving up, we're missing the things that we could draw from that season and what the point of giving something up, what the point of preparing is about. What do you think? Well, and Lent, the very name Lent teaches us this. So Lent is an old English word um, that comes to us meaning springtime. And it's about planting. And when we, you know, the, 
famous scripture where Jesus says, uh, a grain of wheat must fall into the earth and die in order to produce new life. So part of us giving something out, giving something up, something um, denying something in ourselves, something dying within ourselves is so that something else can um, come to fruition, can be fruitful, can spring up um, with the resurrection. Um, so if you think of Lent as a cultivating time uh, with that kind of agricultural mindset, I think it makes it a little easier. It's not just, oh, it's Lent again. Oh, good. They have fish sandwiches at McDonald's. It's, <laughs> it's, this is some, this is a time to, to do some, some cultivating, some work on myself. Um, and, and to make this soil of my soul richer in preparation to receive this, this seed of Christ. And that's not to cast aspersions on the people who, who practice the acts of self-denial, of giving up the chocolate, of giving up the soda, of, of doing things like that. Certainly, that is a right and good and joyful thing. But the underlying question there should always be, why am I doing this? What, yeah, what, what am I cultivating to come up at Easter what am I cultivating to grow at Easter during these 40 days? Not just, um, as the scripture says, not just putting ashes on our heads and sitting around in sackcloth and lamenting. Why are you doing that? Like, look at your life. Look at your choices. Why are you doing what you're doing? Um, and I've cracked Father Joshua up again. Uh, <laughs> really... What, what it calls us to is a greater sense of intentionality, which is why I think Advent and Lent are so important, is because they point us to these mysteries that are about to unfold in our midst again. And oh my goodness, how beautiful these fasts are. Like, you don't think of yourself saying that, particularly growing up and, you know, being a kid and it's just anticipation of Christmas or anticipation of the Easter Bunny. But I think as we get older, um, I know this is true for us because we're we're members of the clergy. But even prior to seminary, um, my as I s said in our introduction, my first Sunday in an Episcopal church was the first Sunday of Lent. That's what I fell in love with. So, um, I think if we really take time, all of us really take time to look at it, we can see just how beautiful. Advent and Lent really are in the church year. And if we think about what follows these preparatory seasons of Advent and Lent, and maybe Lent's a little bit different because we've got Holy Week in there, we've got the week of the Passion, it, it slightly complicates the equation just a little bit more. Um, but what follows these periods are the great festivals of the church. You know, we start with Christmas when, you know, the heavens break forth and the angels come out and say, peace on earth and goodwill to those whom God favors, which is everybody, by the way. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, God reconciling, you know, God's self with man, breaking forth and saying, hey, it's going to be okay. Here comes Jesus. And, you know, I think it's somewhat of a shame that we only get 12 days of Christmas. But, you know, but then there's Easter, you know. But you were going to well, say something about Christmas. 
Yep, because historically, Christmas isn't just 12 days. Uh, in the Middle Ages, if you look at the court of Henry VIII, Christmas is celebrated all the way through Candlemas, which is the Feast of the Presentation in the Temple, or February 2nd. Um, and a lot of times the Christmas decorations and the feasting would stay up till then. So if your Christmas tree is still up and decorated and lights are still outside, don't feel bad. You have until February 2nd to feel any shame about that. <laughs> My rebuttal to that is a common rebuttal. If you want to leave your Christmas tree up until February 2nd, all may, some should, but none must. <laughs> My Christmas tree was jettisoned from our household on the Feast of the Epiphany, which has become practice for many of us. Uh, and especially if you have a toddler in the house, um, Epiphany is a convenient time to move on to other things. But I have been very gently chided by members of my congregation. Oh, no, Father, my tree went up before the second week of Advent, and it's going to be there until at least Candlemas. I hear, <laughs> I hear some people have Easter trees. I'm not sure I can, I'm not sure I can endorse that practice. Yeah, last year ours was we had an Easter tree, we had a St. Patrick's Day tree, we had a Fourth of July tree, and then the lights on it died, so we didn't keep up with that practice. <laughs> but but after these glorious festivals of of light and joy and and feasting, and dear Lord, how we should feast! Like these are things that we should really be excited about. There should be more happiness and joy that goes into the seasons of Christmas and Easter. I really feel like this, you know. We get so bogged down with Easter bunnies and Santa Claus and Black Friday. I mean, if if something is black something, maybe you should take a long, hard look at, at what's really going on with that practice. We get so caught up in these things that we miss some of the deeper joys that are present in these seasons. And I I don't know. I'm one who always thinks that there is always room to cultivate more joy in life. Like we've got if we've got to find those places where that life abundant, you know, that Jesus promises us is one of the fringe benefits of following him, never mind the eternal life thing. But an abundant life is one of those things that we should relish. And so after these after these seasons of feasting, then comes the next part of the story. Mm-hmm. After Jesus is resurrected, 50 days later, Pentecost breaks out. And Pentecost, of course, is that great season of, of the church where the Holy Spirit is poured out on the church and all people are empowered to go and do ministry in the world to take the message of Christ to all people. Some people colloquially call it the birthday of the church. Um, it's that it's that time where we realize that the Holy Spirit is one of the gifts of given to us as believers that that empowers us to do the work that Christ gives us to do. And of course there's epiphany when Jesus's ministry actually gets kicked off. The first Sunday after the epiphany, the feast of the baptism of our Lord, is widely regarded as the beginning of Jesus's ministry, where his work begins. And so we see these cycles sort of beginning to co-mingle a little bit, where 
Jesus sets the stage and I'm doing interpretive dance on this side of the, on this side of the computer. So that, you know, liturgical dance, liturgical dance. Jesus sets the stage, but so does our lectionary. So uh, Mm -hmm. the first Sunday after the epiphany, we get the story of Jesus baptism, which is immediately followed. If you just keep reading by the Holy spirit, driving him into the wilderness to be tempted. So the first Sunday after Ash Wednesday, we also come to that story. Right. So connecting um, those two seasons in a way and and propelling us into the life and ministry of Jesus that is going to get us to Easter and resurrection. And then um, in that season after Pentecost, how do we continue in that story? Right. Where do we fit in that story? Um, the the ministries of the disciples, the book of Acts, the writings of Paul. There's a lot of focus on that because now it is uh, we are part of Jesus' ministry. We continue that into the world. I think I think it was it was either Teresa of Avila or Hild or Hildegard of Bingham that said that Christ has no hands, no feet anymore, but us. That we yeah, become, it was Teresa of Avila. I was getting my mystics mixed up. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, that we are the ones now who become the living embodiment of Jesus. Pause right there. <laughs> we are to be to the world what Jesus was to the world. Mm-hmm. It's something we miss the mark on. That's called messing it up. That's called looking at the things wrong in her life and trying to make it right. And who golly, we're getting this out of the calendar. Like we, we haven't gotten into the liturgies of the church yet. This is just coming from the calendar. Um, so Father, and, Father Joshua's got his keyboard on the other side and he's going to start that piano intro for Seasons of Love. That's dude, what we've been talking about. And and if you don't talk about these things, you miss the joy that's present in them, that we yeah. get to be Jesus to the world. Not, oh, we have to be Jesus to the world, but we get to do this. We get to enter into the risen life of Christ. Holy cow! <laughs> I, I think this might be a good time to point out that um, this isn't just something that we get on paper. This isn't just something that we get in the decorations at church. As many of us know, a lot of us haven't been able to step foot in a church in the last 12 months because of uh, the pandemic. So how do we recognize and how do we see this calendar? And um, I, when, when we were preparing for the podcast today, there's a great quote by um, St. Augustine, who is one of the doctors of the church uh, in his writing, um, The City of God. He says, some people in order to discover God read books, but there is a great book, the very appearance of created things. Look above you, look below you, note it, read it. God, whom you want to discover, never wrote that book with ink. Instead, he set before your eyes the things that he had made. Can you ask for a louder voice than that? 
why heaven and earth shout to you, God made me. Oh, and it just <laughs> melts. Like we see, we see this, we see this cycle of death and resurrection play out every single year. If you don't believe me, come to Wisconsin. It is a desolate landscape this time of year. It is very cold and all the leaves are off the tree. And there's probably, there's probably two inches of snow on the ground out there, but I know what comes in March. And yeah, and not that that's not beautiful, but June is a very different kind of beautiful in Wisconsin. Um, having seen that myself as well. The cycle of the church year, also even with what many have considered a minor feast, there's the um, nativity of John the Baptist, which is six months before Jesus is born, uh, based on the gospel story. So we celebrate the nativity of Jesus, uh, December 24th, 25th, and the Nativity of John the Baptist is June 24th, which coincidentally is my ordination day. Um, but monastics for years have looked to that as um, the two points in the year for their agriculture and for the how the seasons change. As we know, John says, I must now decrease so that he may increase after right. the baptism of Christ. And when we look at it, especially particularly in the Northern Hemisphere where this happens, from the Feast of John the Baptist, the Nativity of John the Baptist on June 24th, the days continue to get darker and darker and the light goes out of the world. Mm-hmm. From December 25th, really from December 21st, uh, being the winter solstice, the light has now come back into the world. Christ has come, the light of the world has come into the world. The day gets longer the nights get shorter and there's this great story of John the Baptist and Jesus the Christ that is written in creation for all of us to see. Well, and and not to just think that it's only one voice in the church who's saying this, but we also have a writing from St. Bonaventure and we do have a point for bringing up these saints. St. Bonaventure writes, um, Therefore, any person who is not illuminated by such great splendor in created things is blind. Anyone who is not awakened by such great outcries is blind. Anyone who is not led by such effects to give praise to God is mute. Therefore, open your eyes, alert your spiritual deer, unlock your lips and apply your heart so that in all creatures you may see hear, praise, love and adore, magnify, and honor your God, lest the entire world rise up against you. Mm. Open our eyes to see your hand at work in the world about us. My wife and I, for those of you who don't know me, are extremely granola people. Colleen (laughs) and I are crunchy people. One of our favorite things to do is to be outdoors, not when it's negative two outside, but we like to be outdoors um, and to be out and to see the seasons happen and to watch the world change always draws us back to God making things new always. And like Joshua, Father Joshua was saying, it's not just in the church you get this. 
Take a notice of the world about you and get caught up in the splendor of it. And don't dismiss it as something childish. And don't dismiss it as something immature. If you get caught up in a sunset or if a wisp of cloud passing against the moon at night stirs your heart to joy, Pay attention to those things because there may be a very strong chance that God is whispering to you something in that. It is an opportunity. Look to him who made the Pleiades and Orion. Teaser for next week. But we talk about St. Augustine. We talk about St. Bonaventure. We talk about St. Teresa of Avila. We talk about St. Benedict. Saint after saint after saint, and why are the saints important? What if I'm what if I'm I'm not super Anglo-Catholic? Perish the thought. What if what if I am, you know, I have no use for the saints, Father Joshua? Why are they important to me? For me, the saints tell me that I can mess up just as much as they did and still be loved by God. Um, well, if, Saint, we learn, if we learn nothing else from St. Augustine <laughs> in his, his, confession. his confession is just, here's what I did wrong. Um, and my, I, my favorite view of the saints is we get to know the saints and we learn to live by the saints. It comes from the Eastern church and the Orthodox church. And if you walk into a Greek Orthodox church, you walk into a Russian Orthodox church, you will see icons of the saints all around you. That is because that place is to represent for you what it will be like in heaven. Mm. In the kingdom of God, when we are surrounded by the saints of God and all stand together worshiping God, it's just getting to know our neighbors a bit. Well, and... And of course, I love what Mother Gada has to say about it. Mother Julia Gada, or as some of us know her more colloquially, Mama G, says it this way in her book, Life in Christ. The saints are our spiritual friends who across the threshold of time and death offer us encouragement by their example. They illustrate the horizons of holiness and wisdom to which we are called in Christ. And that's just another way of saying what Father Joshua just said. The saints prove to us that we can do more and that God's grace is always poured out on our lives. In fact, while we're doing shameless plugs for Swanee faculty, Dr. Robert McSwain, who is the professor of systematic theology at the School of Theology, is currently working on a project where he explores the idea of the saint as evidence for the existence of God, that we can see the evidence for God in the holy people who have lived their lives out in service to that God. And it's compelling. I need the saints to prove to me that I can be holy. <laughs> well, and and not to just plug uh, Swaneeites, although we are both one, um, but Scott Gunn, who we are also... Uh, using one of his books, um, Walk in Love, Episcopal Beliefs and Practices, uh, on his chapter on the church calendar, he has one little section with just three bullet points that I think are good to draw us back. Um, 
the calendar of the church tells us how we think. Kind of Christians are people who orient their lives around Jesus Christ. Our calendar is focused around the birth, life, death, resurrection of our Savior. So it helps us to reorient. The calendar tells us what we value. Christmas and Easter are of utmost importance. The days around which all of our lives should be oriented, but every Sunday is also a major important holiday or holy day. And importance underscores the importance of the day in, day out, lived character of the Christian life. And then thirdly, the calendar tells us what we work toward. Or more more importantly, it tells us that our work is not the focus. Our lives are lived in grateful response to the work that God has already done in Christ Jesus. Well, listen, I mean, if you've got St. Augustine, and you've got St. Bonaventure, and you've got Scott Gunn, what else do you actually need? Well, maybe a Mama G and a Rob McSwain, but... What more can we say? We have said. Uh, so, you know, our last our last question on on sort of our guide that helps us mediate this discussion is: Why do we need this? Why do we need a calendar of the church year? This is why we need a calendar of the church year. This is why we need a calendar of saints. This is this is why feasts and fasts are important because they mark our lives, because they draw us into a deeper mystery. And they keep it alive in us. Mm. Mm-hmm. So, so the next time you look at your calendar and you see that it is the, same, the feast day of St. Hildegard of Bingen, maybe look her up on Wikipedia. Maybe do a Google search and see some of the things that she's written. Or maybe it's... I, I named my cat after her, so I promise right. she's worth looking up. <laughs> or St. Teresa of Avila, or St. Francis, or St. John Paul II, you know, if you prefer somebody more more contemporary. St. Teresa of Calcutta. Look Martin Luther up. King. Martin Luther King. When these big feasts in the church come up, like Christmas, like Easter, like Ash Wednesday, like the... Great Vigil of Easter. We didn't even talk about the Great Vigil of Easter. Don't worry. It's coming. (laughs) It's always coming. It's always coming. Pause and reflect and think about what you're being shown. And while you're at it, maybe put down the cell phone and watch the sunset. Maybe put down the cell phone and take glory in your friends and your family. Maybe walk away from the computer and drink a cup of tea while you watch the grass grow and ask yourself the question, is God speaking to me through this? And listen for that still small voice. You may be surprised at the place that it shows up. If it can show up in a church calendar, quite possibly regarded as one of the driest subjects in the church, imagine where else God might show up. So what are we talking about next time we get together, Father? I think you have a bit of a teaser. Uh, 
Well, no, not ready to go exactly. That's 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 <laughs> no. that's for the for the week of the release. But well, if you are following along in your uh, if you are following along in your Book of Common Prayer online, the next we're just going in order, and the next thing is the daily office, and um, it just means the official work. It's just the daily work of a Christian, and this is about uh, our work in prayer and reorienting our every day. So there's morning prayer, noonday prayer, evening prayer, and Compline. And we're going to spread this out by a couple weeks. Um, But yeah, join us. Join us for the daily office. So with that, let us close in prayer. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Let us pray. Almighty and ever-living God, who through the book of common prayer restored the language of the people and the prayers of your church, make us always thankful for this heritage and help us so to pray in the spirit and with understanding that we may worthily magnify your holy name. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Father Joshua, may the peace of the Lord be always with you. And also with you.